Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast, where my guest and I talk serious about stand-up comedy. This is episode eight, and my guest is Zach Funk. He is a comic from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he has an album that just came out last year called Brains Are Weird. It's a really good album, and it's available at all the outlets, Bandcamp, Amazon, Apple. You can get it everywhere. We talked a lot about making that album, the nuts and bolts of uh, how a comic can put an album out. We also talked about mental health, which is important to a lot of stand-up comics. You can catch him on all the social media outlets I put on the show notes. And also check out his YouTube channel. He started with Joe Kira called Is It Worth a Sandwich? Uh, They look at a video game and see is it worth the price of a sandwich. A pretty cool YouTube channel, and I've watched a couple videos, and it's really good. Without further ado, here is Zach Funk. Welcome back to the Behind the Bits podcast. I'm still Scott Curtis, and today I have Zach Funk, a comedian from Pittsburgh. Um, We uh, got together via Twitter. Welcome to the show, Zach. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me be here. I'm glad to do it. Great. I was, uh, as I told you before we started recording, I was appreciative that somebody reached out to me. Starting a new podcast is always uh, a struggle, and I celebrate it whenever anybody uh, reaches out to me. So uh, it, it was uh, it was very nice, and uh, it was it was really cool that uh, you got me when you did because I noticed that you know just last year you released your album, your comedy album, Brains Are Weird. And uh, I have gotten to listen to that a few times, and it's fantastic. I, I got to tell you, I know who you are from from that uh, from that particular uh, comedy album. You've definitely got your own voice and your own personality, and everybody says that's what it takes to be a good comic. So you're you're definitely pushing all the buttons there. Thank you. Uh, I still laugh sometimes. I think about I did a show years ago for this. Um, this guy who books a lot of stuff in Pittsburgh and we didn't really end up working together. Um, but he saw me do a 10 minute set. And when I got off stage, he said, I really like your character. And I thought, <laughs> Oh yes, that, that was, that was certainly a character. No, that's true. <laughs> you, you never know. I mean, uh, emo Phillips may be exactly how he is. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things I want I, I'd like to talk to everybody about is uh, first of all how you got started in uh, doing stand up and how long you've been at it. Uh, so I started summer 2011. Okay. So this will be nine years this summer. Um, I've always loved comedy since I was a little kid. Like I used to go to bed listening to stuff like Steve Martin, Let's Get Small, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um. I love just the Muppets as a kid, just any, anything that drew comedically. Um, I was, I was always very drawn to, and my dad, um, uh, he was an attorney, but he loved to write and he had a very dry sense of humor. And I remember having a lot of like just car rides as a kid where we never had like the boring father, son car ride. Uh-huh. We, we would make up stuff in the car. Like one year going to my grandparents' place for, for Christmas Eve, uh, we wrote we, on like the hour car ride. We wrote three Christmas song parody in my grandparents' house. <laughs> um, and then also comedy has helped me a lot. Um, 
it's in, in my own life, like I mentioned my dad there, he, he died in a random car accident when I was 11. Mm-hmm. And being able to to laugh after that, um, helped. I mean, a lot of it was just I spent time just being sad and watching like SNL and Kids in the Hall reruns on Comedy Central. And that helped me get through some <laughs> stuff. Uh, I can definitely understand just, that. Yeah, but, but comedy, it's, it's a thing of, you know, there's so much in life where you can laugh about it or you can cry about it. And, and sometimes you don't have a choice. Uh, but if, if you do have a choice, I would, I would rather try to laugh about it. And I've found there are so many things that you can tackle through humor and address versus just saying to someone, well, here's this, but if you kind of put it in a funny way, it sticks with the nerve. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks, you know, a lot of folks who don't understand uh, what comedy is all about, see it as kind of a defense mechanism sometimes, but it really is a coping and a healing mechanism. I mean, there's a lot of studies out there that say that laughter has healing properties, and that's both for physical and mental ailments. Exactly. Um, There's uh, this, uh, you can tell from watching my stuff, I love comics, there's this great comic book series uh, called Kabuki, which is where I based my first tattoo off of. There's a kind of a running plot through it where they talk about the uh, the old idea of alchemy, of you know where people would try to turn lead into gold, and mm-hmm. you can do that taking the taking the traumas you've been through, taking the negative things in your life, and making something positive out of it, using it to be creative, using it to help you be kinder and help others. Mm-hmm. And I try to do that both on and off stage. You know, I've got I've had enough bad things happen externally and internally, but you know, it can make you cold to the world, but he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's very good insight. I um, wanted to find out uh, what your, uh, I, I talked to a lot of people about their first experience doing stand up, and it's the same for everybody. It's, uh, it's awkward and it sucks and uh, either that or it's great. And then your second one's awkward and it sucks. But um, coming up um, uh, in the Pittsburgh scene, did you have um did you have like a core group of uh, comics that you were able to lean on and learn from as you were uh, starting out? I, I definitely had a few people that were really helpful um, when I first started. Uh, only one of them is still performing. His name is uh, Ron Placone. He is a hilarious guy, does a lot of really smart political stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the people that were very helpful when I first started were a guy named Dan Genesis, uh, Genesis who, uh, no longer performs and Ben Kenny who no longer performs. Um, and there are people who are more experienced in the Pittsburgh scene and just liked what I did from the start, um, and gave me some really helpful advice. Uh, like one of the things that I try to tell people when they're starting, if they ask me is, you know, like when you're learning to play guitar, it's okay. I, I will do this in private until I figure it out and go do it in public. Mm-hmm. I know I'm doing it right in public, whereas with comedy, you have to do it in public to learn it. Yeah. So, I'm, you know, when you first start out at open mics, it's always, this is my third time on stage. This is my seventh <laughs> time on stage. Uh-huh. Once you pass the point where you're actively like, oh, yeah, this is my, you know, how many times have I gone up now? Like, then you can really kind of start evaluating how you're doing. Mm-hmm. But, up until that point, it is just trial by fire, and failure, and learning what you want to do. Like, like when I first started out, I I, I I do a lot of storytelling, and I would try to write your classic, just like set up punchline jokes. And I found I can write those, but I can't perform them well. Mm-hmm. So I have to build them into a narrative, and that's part of the learning process. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I um, it's funny when you talk about having 
the you know our practice is being in front of people and one of the things i like to do is crash music open mics and uh <laughs> go up and the first thing i always say is you know all these musicians are great but they get to practice at home they can they can practice their guitar their keyboards their drums and they can do that for hours days months years guess what this is my practice and and what you hear is what you get so yeah i can yeah. definitely you know you can you can write and write and write and you can talk to yourself in the car you can talk to the mirror you know i talk to my wife but there is no substitute for actually being in front of an audience and finding out where the laughs fall Exactly. And you can't be a comedy cover bander. You right. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I, I've seen a few of those. That's 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 I've heard they exist, but it's it's like, oh, you're the person who looks vaguely like the president and you go to parties and post for pictures. It's not like it's it's a it's a thing to do, but it's not an art. Yeah. Yeah. So going to the uh, going to the brains of weird weird album. um, you know, that is about, that's right about at 60 minutes of entertainment right there. How long did it take you to get all that material together? Um, I, I don't know. There's Basically, it was something where I had thought about first recording the album maybe like three years ago. It was an idea I'd, I'd thought about where it was like, I've been, do, been doing comedy for five or six years. Mm -hmm. And as someone who had like a writing background, I thought, okay, well, if I were if I were writing short stories for five or six years at a certain point, I'd want to say, okay, this is a collection of short stories or this book is done. Um, not, not, you know, that I'm stopping comedy, but I wanted to have like a solid document as opposed to just a collection of shows I've been on. Mm -hmm. And then for a while I was in a really serious relationship and just wasn't as focused on comedy. So that kind of fell to the wayside and then that ended. So I started focusing more on the album. And basically at that point it was, I knew I had uh, when I decided to do it. A half an hour of it was was definitely set in stone. I knew like okay, I want to I want to do this bit. I want to tell this story. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to do this. And then the rest of it was kind of going over seven years worth of stuff and saying, okay, here's the thing I tried in the second year I was performing and I haven't touched in four years. Is this something that's worth revising and making a polished thing, or should I just forget this ever existed? Mm -hmm. So there, there was a lot of that and just kind of there were some things that were I put on the album that at the time were relatively new, but I liked them. And I, I run into the problem of I get tired of my material easily uh, sometimes. So like, like there are comedians I know who they'll do the same five minutes at open mics for, for years. And, mm -hmm. you know, if that's your thing. That's your thing. But to me, it just I I get bored with it. Uh, you know, it's fun to go back and, and revise uh, because I don't, I don't write things out word for word. If anything's written out, it's bullet points. And even the, then mostly it's just kind of in my head. And then through repetition, I kind of figure out a rhythm to it. And mm -hmm. You can toss lines in here and there. Um, and then there was e even stuff like there's a, there's a story I tell in the album. That's about a 10 minute long story that I barely ever did on stage. Just because unless you're doing a long, you know, if you're only doing like a 15 minute set, if you decide I'm going to tell this 10 minute story, well, that's, that's most of your set and mm -hmm. it's secret. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. So there were certain things where it was, even though I haven't had a chance to practice as much, I definitely want to put it on here just because I have the time to do it. Right. And, um, your, I mean, your style is definitely, uh, it's different than the setup punch style. Yours is more setup 
punch, 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 and then set up. And so uh, you even mentioned the comedy rule of threes uh, in, in, the, in the one bit. And, but yours, you know, your stories flow, and there's, there's good laugh uh, quality all the way through the story. So um, a lot of folks say that you got to get so many laughs per minute to be successful. Um, the way you do it, I felt like um, it flowed well. I was laughing, and yet I was able to stick with the story at the same time. So I, I it was kind of Mark Twainy um, a little bit. <laughs> so, <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, so thinking about having the material and wanting to do an album, I've always wanted to know what it takes, you know, nuts and bolts wise to get an album done. So can, can you take me through that? Uh, sure. So part of it was just kind of deciding in myself, okay, this is a thing I'm definitely going to do because when you have a lot of depression and self-doubt issues, I think that's often the hardest step Yeah, is just, okay, no, I'm definitely going to do this. It's not going to be an idea I think about for three years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it was uh, finding a venue. I recorded it at Mr. Small's Funhouse uh, in Pittsburgh. Mr. Small's is a uh, a very large. It's one of the, Pittsburgh uses a lot of old buildings and repurposes them. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, it was a church and a school attached to the church. So the the main church building is its main venue uh, that can hold easily a few hundred people. And then the fun house is their smaller secondary. Event. Um, so I, I knew the people that booked the fun house. Uh, they have a weekly, uh, mostly music, but they allow some speaking and comedy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, people I met through that. Um, and I thought it was, it was the right kind of room I wanted to do. And it, it was the right kind of number. I really liked the atmosphere and it wasn't just a straight traditional Pittsburgh comedy room where like, like Pittsburgh has, we have a, we have an improv, but they don't really do stuff with local acts a lot. And then we have a local uh, place called the Arcade Comedy Theater, which is a really great room for comedy. Um, but I, I just, I didn't want to do it there. Mm-hmm. So I talked to the people that booked the Fun House. Uh, like, you know, hey, uh, you know me, you know what I do. I think I'd like to report an album at your at your venue. Uh, you know, what would that cost to to get the room for a night? I, I want to do either a Friday or a Saturday, just so people from out of town could come to it. Uh, but other than that, I didn't really have an exact date and time. I just wanted something at least five, six months out. So I had time to to let people know about it. I, I kind of have to really have seriously said to a lot of friends, like, listen, I'll probably never get married. So considering this traveling thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so they were really great where basically uh, to book the fun house, I didn't have to give them money up front. It was just a thing of. I had to meet a certain threshold at ticket sales. And then if I didn't meet that, I owed them the difference. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it was a, you know, we split the tickets after that. So once I got the venue booked, uh, it was just you know, through, through doing comedy and doing different things. Like I, I've helped out with a lot of other things in the Pittsburgh area where I was like, all right, well, I know, I know a good sound engineer. So I'm going to contact this person and find out what's your rates to, to record a live show. Mm-hmm. Um, and mix it and master it. Uh, my album art was done by a friend of mine who uh, named Nick Pelowi, who is a comedian improviser who's now based in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, also a really great graphic designer. Uh, and we met years and years ago. So I thought, okay, you know, because I wanted to try to make sure it was something where anyone I worked with, I could, I could, you know, I would say to them, like, what is, what is a fair rate for? Basically, it was, this is my tax return for the year. I'm going to use that to fund everything for the uh-huh. year. <laughs> 
and I didn't want it to be something like, Hey, give me a special deal. You know, I'm, I'm a firm believer in, you know, pay people what they're worth. Mm-hmm. If you want to charge me less because you're my friend, that's great, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. Right. So it was just a matter of, of finding the right people. Uh, the name brains are weird. Uh, was something that I had, I had settled on a long time before that, partially because of the mental health aspect, but also it's something that I say both to my, myself and my friends a lot. Um, I'm very often the therapist. Mm-hmm. So when friends are feeling depressed or stressed out or things like that. And they come to me and they'll say like, you know, well, I'm feeling all these different things. You know, what do you think? I'll be like, well, first of all, before we get to all that other stuff, let's just establish brains are weird. We don't make sense. Uh-huh. Right. So <laughs> don't beat yourself up for feeling how you feel. Uh-huh. Because that's just going to make it worse. Right. You, know, you feel sad. Okay. If you're upset, you feel sad. You're just going to feel sadder. Mm. Spiral and cycle. Right. So it's just learning. So brains are weird. Just means learning to accept ourselves for who we are, for the good and the bad. And just saying, yeah, that's just, that's just how it is. You know, it's not, you know, having a, having a mental illness or having a bad day. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're human. Right. Um, so after that, it was just a matter of, you know, once I got the date booked and everyone lined up in terms of who would record it, um, I talked to, uh, one of my best friends in, in comedy, uh, Chris Mohan, uh, who's, a, a great, um, political comedian. And he's, uh, he's somebody who's been a big supporter of mine. Uh, he started about two years before I did. He's, he travels all around the country at this point. And he had recorded some of his albums locally. And so I asked him for advice on, you know, like, hey, what did you use for distribution? How did you make sure this got on iTunes, got on Spotify and things mm. like that? So he gave me some good resources for that aspect of it. Um, and it was it was just, you know, working at it and getting it, getting it put together. Um, yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. And, and you recorded the whole thing in one night. So yeah, yeah. That, so that's it, a it was, start to finish. Yeah, it was uh, it, it was the kind of thing where most I know a lot of time comedians will will book two shows back to back in the same night or one night and the next night and mix the two together. But I just I couldn't really afford to do that in mm. terms of venue booking and getting people there and everything like that. And uh, Arcade, which I mentioned earlier has a weekly show they do called beta stage where it's a place for like experimental comedy and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the week before they let in beta stage is an hour long block. So they let me book beta stage for that week. So I had at least one chance to test out the full hour by itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and even that I ended up cutting some stuff from because that only drew about 10 people. And when you do an hour for 10 people versus do an hour for a hundred people, you got to factor in. Okay. Well, they're going to be longer laugh breaks. They're going to be more things. So maybe I'll cut a little bit of stuff here. Right. Uh, so I don't even have the one chance to properly do it altogether. Otherwise it was just uh, some, some of it was, you know, things you've you been doing over years. So it's like, all right, I know, I know this 10 minutes is going to go together and I know this 10 minutes is going to go together. I know this 10 minutes is going to go together. Mm-hmm. It's deciding what order everything would go in, what kind of flowed the most. Natural. Right. Um, the the funny the funny thing is I've listened to that a couple times and if you would have done that in two nights you would have had to have that lady that was laughing so loud uh, uh, on both nights or your continuity would have been fucked up. <laughs> yeah, well, she, uh, she's one. Of, that's uh, my dear friend Megan, and she if I did two nights. She definitely would have been there for both nights. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was infectious, but uh, I would have definitely noticed if she wasn't on a track. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she, she is um, one of my absolute best friends in the world, and it is a treasure. Anytime I can bring her to a comedy show, right? 
Right. Every performer is just like, this is great. It's like having 10 extra people here. Yeah. <laughs> when you, uh, so when you got the master, it was probably pretty easy to edit, um, since you're, since you were just doing one take, um, uh, you yeah, just... yeah. I mean, I mean, luckily, so the, the person I hired, uh, Brandon Martin, to uh, engineer it, he like basically he sent me a master. I told him where to split the tracks up, and then he split it from there. That's that's great. Uh, and then you know it uh, it's obviously up on Bandcamp, and I think can can you get that through Amazon and iTunes? Uh, yeah, yeah. I just okay. Recently, because literally. The week after I got, no, the, it was like two days after I got the master back and everything was split into files and I got it on Bandcamp, my laptop died. Mm-hmm. So that <laughs> took away some, uh, some momentum. But at this point, yeah, it's on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Spotify, pretty much any any major online service that it should be on. Mm-hmm. That's that's great. And I shortchanged you. Yours, your um, album is an hour and 11 minutes. Uh, the uh, the other album I was listening to is a guy from Grand Rapids, and he came in at just under an hour. So uh, you, you, you had a lot of content there. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I was surprised at how long it ended up because it was just, a, like I said, I only had the one chance to even practice it. And even from that one practice thing, I cut some off. Right, right. I guess I guess you're lucky in that you do very personal stuff and it's very easy to remember your own shit. I guess <laughs> you know exactly. Yeah, when it's a lot of this, oh, here's the thing I've been through. Let me tell you about. Yeah, it. It makes it easier than oh wait, how does this story go? It's a fictional thing. Right, right. So did the priest actually re- really say that? Yes. Oh, okay. That, okay. Yeah, the, uh, Priest who told me bad customers go to hell. That is a hundred percent true story. Yeah. See, you, you folks will have to uh, get the album to uh, hear the whole story, but th- that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that stuff. Um, so I I won't go into like the exact location I work at, but I still work at the same uh, hardware store chain. I've been in a few different departments by now, and if not from the very beginning from shortly after i started working there um anytime i have those weird type of things happen um i keep track of them i post them online i call it customer interaction of the day which is why i named the one track that uh yeah so that was part of it even just going back over years of customer interactions deciding because there's a fine line between being oh i'm i'm zach and i worked at a hardware store uh, and being Zach, the hardware store guy. Right, right. Store guy. <laughs> so it was deciding you just a few select ones to put on there. And that was a lot of fun looking over, you know, like, oh, yeah, here's a weird thing that happened five years ago. I totally forgot about that. It's a good thing I posted that on Facebook. And didn't look it <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's funny because I uh, I worked in restaurants and retail for um you know, my twenties into my early thirties. And I could probably do a couple hours just on the stuff that happened in, in, in there. I mean, the people you work with, the people that come in, it's just, it's nuts. I, um, I'm getting, I got a little bit of feedback there and I'm going to mark this. So I edit my, there we go. And, um, the, uh, album came out, it came out, uh, towards the end of last year. Was that right? Uh, so I first got it up on Bandcamp uh, back in May, actually. Okay. And then it was near the end of last year where I was able to get it on iTunes and Spotify and all that other stuff. Okay. And just just as a um, uh, a marker, do you uh, do you keep track of how many people listen and download and stuff like that? I, I look at it when I can. Um, each thing works different. Like Bandcamp, for example. 
Uh, every time someone buys my album on Bandcamp, I get a notification on my phone right away. So that's always nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's even more exciting when I don't recognize the person. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. like, oh, my friend bought this. Great. I can, you know, send them a thank you message. Right. Uh, other, t- other stuff, it's you just check every now and then, see you know, where your stats are at. It's, it's you know, as somebody who is still relatively obscure, it's it's doing about what I think it would do, but I'm I'm trying to post more stuff online. I've been submitting to a lot of comedy festivals lately, so I'm trying to, to do more to push that and, and push myself. Mm-hmm. I, that's definitely a good uh, a good resume to have when you're trying to get into the festivals for sure. Yeah, it's nice to be able to to you know it makes you see no matter how good or bad your album is to be able to say I got people to show up for an hour and felt it was worth recording and releasing. Right. Shows you're not just like some random person who got a mic. Right. No doubt. Um, so as far as your uh, performing area is concerned, do you stick around Pittsburgh or how, how far do you go to uh, perform? Uh, let's see here. I, I'm mostly in Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh area, at least just because of still having like a regular day job where I'm full time. Mm. That makes it hard. My job's, my job's good about, you know, if I say like, oh, I have a show this night at eight o'clock, I can still work. I just need to do that by six. They're, they're good about stuff like that. Mm. But having two to four days off in a row to travel is trickier mm-hmm. but i've had chances to do that i've i think i'm in if you count washington dc as its own thing i think i performed in seven states now cool. um, the furthest i've traveled was i did a festival in chicago last year called the chicago nerd comedy festival mm-hmm. uh, which was an absolutely delightful festival to be part of and i'm hoping to do that again this year that's uh, that's cool. Uh, I wanna I, I wanna check that out this year. I'm pretty close to Chicago, so um, that would be a cool one to check out. Yeah, the, the people that run it are just fantastic people. Um, it's a great mix of stand up and improv and sketch, and they did nerdy theme burlesque shows, which is all <laughs> real existed. Um, you know, it's not, not you'll never forget seeing someone uh, do a burlesque routine as Krusty the Clown with pasties that say "Hey, hey, coverings." <laughs> <laughs> Um, that's cool. So that was, that was a great time. I'm, I'm from more like central East central, central Pennsylvania, originally the Lancaster County. So I've done, I've done more things in that area. I've done things out towards Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, but I've got, I've done some shows in, in Maryland and both Virginia's, uh, you know, other places just trying to done some stuff in Ohio, like the Cleveland area. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely trying, especially since the album is done, I'm trying to do a lot more outside of Pittsburgh. It's just, kind of that aspirational life versus real life balance is the trick. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's definitely exhausting. I mean, just a little bit that I've done, you, you know, I've got a full-time job too. And you, if you spend all weekend doing comedy, I mean, Monday's rough. <laughs> so, uh, I, I understand it's def it's definitely a, another job when you start doing that stuff. So you were, uh, so Lancaster County, you, you had the Pennsylvania Dutch and the Amish, right? Uh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, there were, uh, like one of, one of my best friends, uh, from growing up, uh, is from the liberal side of his family because they use electricity. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I know I've got some Pennsylvania Dutch genes and things in there. My, my dad's side of the family is from closer to Philadelphia, but my mom's side of the family is pretty much a straight Lancaster County, mm-hmm. uh, my high school you there were certain science classes if you wanted to you could opt out of and instead take a farming class and mm-hmm. we need I, I totally support that it's it's not my right right well you come from a sturdy breed <laughs> <laughs> 
We, I, I've got uh, in our area just east of us. Uh, it's heavily Amish, and and it's funny they've you know they've got different uh, levels of Amish, and some of them have a um, phone booth uh, at the end of their driveway, and uh, some of them are allowed to use cell phones. Some of them can't do that, and it's just yeah, it, it's a it, thing. It's, it's all these like Amish Amish loopholes that stuff to do about being tied to the ground. Like you can have a cell phone if you charge it at your non Amish neighbor's house. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's like like just the idea of just like Amish legal scholars sitting around trying to find reasons to be able to do fun things is yep yep. So it's, it's, it's an idea that fascinates me. This is a as a fairly secular person, the idea of right. We want to be modern, but we also believe these things. How do we reconcile? Uh huh. And it's always weird to see a dead horse on the side of the road. I, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it twice in my life, and they were both in the same area. And and when they lose a horse, they just leave it, and uh, so, somebody's got to come get it. <laughs> I, I, I have actually never encountered that. In yeah, area. yeah. A little bit better about it, or they, I don't know, hide them better. I yeah, mean, I've, I've been stuck behind so many buggies, and there's a. Uh, there's a, a weekly huge farmer's market that people from like out of, it's big enough that people from out of state travel to it um, that I could walk to from the house I grew up in. And it's, it's such a weird place because you can buy like, here's a homemade Amish shoe fly pie at one stand. Mm-hmm. And decided to selling illegal counterfeit Chinese Nike watches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, um, as we were, um, getting to know each other before we uh, uh, started doing the uh, interview, we, we, we've got something in common and uh, that's, that's having some uh, mental health issues. And I know that's something that's near and dear to your heart. Um, you know, obviously I think, I think we're kind of the, uh, as far as the symptoms, kind of the same, the depression, anxiety, and all that kind of stuff. Um, can you tell me a little bit about yours and, and how it's affected you at how it makes your comedy better <laughs> and uh so, so some of the things some of the things that come with that i mean it's 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 weird to say like, like you'll meet people that are able to just be like happy or content by default and it's just it seems like a superpower yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh for me it's something where like i've got a i've got mental illness on both sides of my so i'm not surprised that i ended up with it um and then, like I said, my dad died. He was like my best friend um, when I was 11. He was 40. Mm-hmm. And so that definitely amped things up. But in a weird way, it's comforting that I can remember, like when I was 10, I didn't have the phrase for like anxiety attack or depressive episode. But I can remember having things like that before my dad died. So in a weird way, it's comforting to knowing I don't have it because he died. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the nice thing in a weird way, too, about having it when you're very young is you get used to it by the time most people are starting to really deal with it. Mm-hmm. So I can I can think about how like literally the um, the first person I ever uh, talked about suicide was a friend of mine in tenth grade. Where um, I, a friend, and my friend's dad went to my other friend's house at two in the morning to make sure he didn't kill himself, and I did most of the talking. And, mm-hmm. and my friend's dad, who was a, uh, who was a pastor, was amazed at how calm I was and how I was able to handle everything and, and really talk to him. And I just said, you know, that's that's the stuff I tell myself when I feel that. Mm-hmm. And it's so much mental health stuff is even ignoring the stigma. People are scared about it. They're scared to say the wrong thing. And I think so often it's not about saying the right or the wrong thing. It's about letting people know they're not alone. Right. And and just that you care. It's It's not... 
here's the phrase that makes you feel happy. It's just, Hey, I'm here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's been such a big thing for me. I'm, I'm very fortunate that my mom and I have a, have a wonderful relationship. My sister and I have a great relationship and they both have their, their issues as well. And I'm, I'm very fortunate that, that both my parents uh, always taught me, you know, it's okay to feel your feeling. It's okay to be a person. Mm-hmm. And I can't imagine not having, right. Um, and that thing of like, no matter, no matter how depressed I am, I always, I know who I am. Like, like whether I feel good or whether I feel bad, I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. It's just which parts seem louder at the time. Mm-hmm. So that, that helps a lot when you've been through, um, bad things like, like my dad dying or, um, I had a really, really bad experience the first time I was in college. I've dropped out of college twice, mostly due to mental health issues both times. Um, and the first time I was there, uh, it's, it's always weird because I wasn't necessarily trying to kill myself. It was a thing of, uh, well, I'm doing this thing that will probably kill me. I don't necessarily want it to, but if it does, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that because, uh, like drugs and alcohol? Uh, sleeping pills. Okay. Yeah. I, I've always had insomnia trouble since I was a kid. And when I was in college, my doctor gave me a script for Ambien and eventually I built up a tolerance to it. And I continued building a tolerance to it. It took more and more. And, uh, the one night, eventually it was just a thing of like, all right, I just want to stop. If I sleep, I sleep. If I die, I die. I really don't care. Mm-hmm. And I took enough that probably should have killed me. Uh, but fortunately I threw it all up and I vomited. Uh, I, the one person told me, uh, the, the clinical term they use is uh, coffee grounds, basically where you throw up like black chunks, uh, which means you're bleeding internally and your stomach walls are dissolving. Mm-hmm. And I was so depressed and so out of it. I was living by myself at the time that like, I didn't go to a hospital. I didn't tell anyone. It was just, okay, I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, you know, I'm very, very thankful that, that I'm, that I'm still here and that, that didn't go the way it could have otherwise. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what helped you, you know, first of all, recognize that, you know, you had a serious uh, issue with the depression and um, how do you feel now? Every day is different, really. Uh, like it, it's, it's always there. Like I said, it just depends on how loud it's right. And one of the things that's nice because I've dealt with it my entire adult life and most of my child is when it starts to get worse, uh, I'm able to kind of mentally step back and say like, okay, you're having more trouble than usual. Let's look at what's going on. Is there, has something happened recently or is this just your brain balance is off and you're going to hate yourself for three days? Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause if it's something that happened externally, like, okay, those are things we can work at. You had a fight with the person, this thing at work, or you had a really bad show, or if it's just, Oh, nope, I'm just going to struggle for three days. Okay. Then that's going to be my next three days. And it's just to remind you, remind myself that this is not permanent. Uh, don't make any drastic decisions, good or bad. You know, don't think, well, I'm going to go just waste my money at a casino or I'm going to go quit my job or I'm going to do, you know, it's just that if the best you can do is go to work and put on the customer service show, go home and go to bed, that's the best you can do. Mm-hmm. If you call off work a day and you spend the day watching Futurama reruns, then that's the best you can do. Uh, but there's exactly. certainly a lot worse things to do as well. Right. So, I know the one thing that you can do is totally step out of character and do something stupid. Uh, just because, just because you want to erase that feeling for a while and that stupid thing that you do could, you know, it could get you arrested or, um, make you lose your job and 
lose friends and all that kind of stuff. So um, just being able to understand what it is, I think, is the big part. And then understanding how to deal with it is, comes long after that. Yeah, it's it's the same way of, you know, if you're somebody who, like, you have an easily upset stomach. Okay, I understand. If I eat certain types of foods, I'm just going to have to make sure I plan out time to be near a bathroom. Uh-huh. I have a certain, you know, a certain days where it's all right. You know, I save like at work, I save my sick days for like, I will, I will sooner go into work physically ill versus like, nope, I just can't do it today. I need a mental health day mm-hmm. uh, because I, I find it's easier to, 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 <laughs> to, to like feel positive, but it, but physically ill versus like, no, I just can't put on the customer service show today. Yeah. <laughs> I um, totally relate to that. <laughs> That's great. Uh, what, so obviously in the business you're in, the business we're in, um, the stand-up comics, I think the, the mildest thing you can say about them is we're misfits. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's something a little off about all of us. Um, and it doesn't matter. I mean, they could be, they could be the most, uh, uh, outwardly, uh, um, confident looking person in the world. But, you know, if, if you get into this, if you get into this type of art, then there's definitely, there's something, there's something missing in you that you're trying to fill up. Oh, <laughs> I don't think like, if, if you go to open mics, you'll see people uh, in the first few weeks of comedy and they're not doing well, but they still seem really positive. Like, Oh, I'm going to go home. I'm going to go back to my good job and do my, you know, be with my wife or be with my spouse or who kids or whoever. And, uh, you know, this is just something kind of fun. I'm trying. Sometimes I'll stick with it, but a lot of the times they don't because it's not that thing of I'm filling a hole by doing this. Right. <laughs> I am, no, I, I the, the thing I have to look forward to today yeah. is my five minutes being mostly ignored by people watching the Penguins game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you definitely have to recognize that. That's uh, that, that's I, I felt exactly that same way. So that's that's hilarious. So with that in mind, you you get with a group of people, and I, I don't know if it's like this for you, but for me, you know, um, you you kind of find your tribe that way, and in, in that you uh, you find people who have uh, if not the same issues, similar issues, and you can actually talk about it and, um, not feel embarrassed or feel, um, threatened or exposed in any way. Um, you can, you can talk about it. And, um, I, I don't know how that is for you, but I thought that was, that was really refreshing to me. Yeah. I mean, I mean, fortunately for me, uh, I've had a lot of those people in my life pre comedy as well. Again, you know, you, you find your similarly broken folk, and you understand each other, and you huddle together for warmth in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also met more people again through through comedy. Uh, people are very, very close and dear to me now that I would not have ever met otherwise. And there is that extra thing. Of, oh, good. We we both deal with our problem the same as well. Yeah, <laughs> I do feel like it may be a little bit of a double edged sword um, because if when when that's your group, that's your tribe. Um, and you have found some uh, coping mechni- mechanisms that work for you, and they haven't found those coping mechanisms. Um, I know that uh, in some personality traits, they they kind of want to drag you down um, and and get you to the the depths that they're feeling. Um, and so it's kind of a double edged sword. I don't know if you've seen that, but I've seen that a little bit myself. It can be, and there are people that try to do that, but. 
it doesn't really affect me because one of the things that like I, I I don't mean to be like pitching a bit, but I've been trying to write this this bit lately after the album about how the advantage of dealing with depression since you were a kid and surviving basically a suicide attempt is that no one else can hate you more than yourself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, oh, you think I'm not funny? That okay, great, thanks. That best you got, really. <laughs> you know, if somebody like if people if people try to bring me down, no one externally can say anything. My own internal monologue does not tell me twenty times a day. Right, right. <laughs> so there, there is that aspect of it, and I'm somebody too where you know I know how lonely life can feel, and so I'm somebody who. You know, if you're somebody I've even just kind of casually met at shows and like I see you post on Facebook or Twitter that you're feeling really down, you know, I'll, I'll most likely I'll, I'll reach out and just say like, hey, listen, you know, I know we've just been on a few shows together. I know we're not the closest of people. I don't mean to like overstep any bounds, but if you want to just chat with somebody who, who I think gets what you're, you're feeling, you know, I'm around. If you don't want to, no offense taken, I completely understand. Because mm-hmm. uh, that, that's the thing, you know, there because I've had people in my life. That you know, when people force themselves on you, you tend to just push them back even further. So for me, it's just a thing of like, hey, if you need somebody just to be a fellow human and say, yeah, those things you're feeling don't make you bad; they just mean alive. Right. That's what I want to be around for. Right. I, I've I've done that myself, and I you know I'm a little older than you. I'm 55, and so I've dealt I've I've dealt with it for a longer period of time. So I you know I I I can speak to it and and. Uh, talk about you know when when I felt my lowest, and also uh, talk about you know my my coping me- mechanisms because I tell you what, sometimes you wake up and getting out of bed, you just feel like you got an elephant sitting on you, and it, it just ain't going to happen. And yeah. uh, uh, being able to talk yourself up and actually get through the day is just like it's it's su- it's it feels superhuman when you when you can do it. <laughs> Oh, it, it does. There, there, there are days where you know I'll I'll find out. Uh, even just the other day, apparently, uh, you know, when you work retail, people will have you know, they tell customers fill out the survey and let us know you, you know how we did. Mm-hmm. And I got three amazing customer surveys in one day. And I remember I was garbage that day, mental health wise. But I could really <laughs> it was I'll put on the show, then I'll go in the bathroom for five minutes, recollect myself. <laughs> <laughs> And the and the funny thing is, is the only person you can celebrate with when you make it through a day like that is yourself. You can, you you, you know, good good job, Scott. Good job, Zach. <laughs> yeah, it, it is acknowledging the little achievements yeah. of like, hey, I dressed myself today. All yeah. right, <laughs> <laughs> I survived another day. This was fantastic. It's the best day ever. Yeah, because it is that thing of you know, I never like the phrase things can always be worse because sometimes that's really stretching. Mm-hmm. But you do have to be to find things to be to be thankful for. You know, like I mentioned, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have a very great relationship with my family, and I, you know, I wouldn't wish the things we've been through on people. But I would much rather have amazing, thoughtful, uh, just insightful mom that I have, and and the dad that I had, versus two parents that are still around who, like, oh yeah, I got a chunk of my DNA from them. Other than that, I don't, just don't really have a relationship. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, I found uh, for, for years after I dropped into college for the first time, I worked in a group home taking care of intellectually, say, intellectually disabled adults. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that helps give you a lot of perspective, too, of, you know, like, yeah, I had a really bad day, but things you know, can be worse. And it doesn't, it doesn't take away from the bad, but that, that perspective helps. Right, right. And it, 
get once again it gets you through the day and that's yeah. uh that, that that's important it's a it's it's a one day at a time thing not to sound cliche but um that's kind of- it, it, it is like I, i've said to friends at times you know sometimes you'll find the stupidest thing that that keeps you going like i was i was telling a story to to a friend the other day uh because as a kid and as an adult i absolutely love weird al yankovic mm-hmm. and as a kid, I listened to Weird Al, but I didn't really listen to like popular music. So, like, I knew some of the songs were parodies, but I didn't know what they were parodies of, uh, things like that. And you know, he does those polka melodies on each album. And the album Bad Hair Day, where Amish Paradise comes from, came out right around the time my dad died. And that album has a has a song called The Alternative Polka, where it's a bunch of songs from the mid '90s and things like that. Mm-hmm. Because I I didn't know pop culture. The part where they, he does the lyrics from uh, Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun, um, <laughs> I did not know that song and uh-huh. didn't bother to read the lyrics in the liner book. So when Weird Al sings Black Hole Sun, Won't You Come and Wash Away the Rain, uh, as a kid, because of the cadence and tempo he, he sings it in, um, I heard Life Goes On, Won't You Come and Wash Away the Rain. Ah. <laughs> uh, and like that got me through some days as a kid. Yeah, that's cool. And then as an adult, you hear that song, I'm like, oh mishearing lyrics as a child got me through some days mm-hmm. that's really stupid but it matters because it got me through those days yeah that's... how you know if it's if it's oh i really want to see this movie that's coming out okay then you're sticking around for that mm-hmm. but that, and then that's out you'll find something else is for right um, and it's you know it's incredibly hard to find that thing some days mm-hmm. you, you yeah. said you said something there um about not knowing the pop culture of your time i've also found that comics um a lot of them tend to be outliers and um they are not driven by um current events or pop culture or anything like that we we all have our own beat that we march to and i think that's what makes us unique and the the biggest outliers seem to be the best comics in in my opinion I think I think that's a very fair assessment. Yeah, and it's it's fun to be an outlier because you don't have to you, you don't have to be into everything that everybody else is into. <laughs> yeah, you, you just you find that comfortable place of of all right, this is what I am. Uh-huh. If you like it, cool. If you don't, okay, you got your own thing. Yeah, that's, that's totally fine. Right. So I've I've asked I think a couple people this. I just uh, every once in a while I like to bring this up um, in comedy. What was your worst experience? Oh, man. Worst experience. There's there's a few that come to mind. So the first one was this is about this is a little this is a right, right around the time it would have been a year since I started performing. Where two of my friends uh, who are other comedians got in touch with me. They were like, "Hey, somebody dropped out of this show. Uh, the two of us, and if you're free, you um, could fill in, and we get paid. And it's like we would drive out to this place an hour away and perform." And I was really excited because I was still fairly new, and this would have been my first paying gig. Mm-hmm. So we get to the venue, and it is literally a barn that got converted into a bar and a grill. So uh-huh. we still have all the barn posts and everything everywhere. Uh, everyone there had on NASCAR shirts, Confederate flag hats. And this. <laughs> so, so when you're a liberal intellectual comedian, you know, that's really your audience. Yeah. Uh, and I, I tried to do my best, but I just, I had a horrible set and both my friends bombed and the headliner did an hour of 
street jokes. Hey, did you hear the one about the, cause the, cause the crowd was eating those up. I don't know if he, he may have written original jokes in his life, but it was all just generic joke jokes. Mm. And they, they ate it up. So we were all just so angry. And, and because of, we had driven all this way to do this, do this crappy show. And like, so are we leaving? We got, we got to wait to get paid. We got to wait to get paid. So we're hanging around for about a half an hour. And one of the comedians that, uh, from that, I think it was that day he had decided to quit uh, smoking. So he was, <laughs> he was extra on it. <laughs> and uh, so kind of the leader of our group of three goes over to talk to the owner of the place, comes back five minutes, just like, we're getting get in the car, we're going now. I'm like, well, what about getting paid? He's like, just get in the car, we're going now. <laughs> and the guy basically had said, you know, well, I had a deal with that other fella to perform, to pay, you know, but I didn't have a deal with you fellas. Uh, so he did not pay us. Oh, man. So there was stuff like that. There was... These weren't even necessarily the worst worst places I've had, but one of the most memorable was uh, for about a year or two in in West Virginia, a little over an hour drive from Pittsburgh. Uh, there was a insane clown posse themed coffee shop. <laughs> uh, it did uh, comedy night, <laughs> and just the, just that was such a surreal place to perform in. Like people hanging again. Like if, you, if you're into ICP, if you're a juggalo, great, that's your thing. Uh-huh. Uh, just the idea of like, oh, there's people hanging out in full clown makeup. They weren't at a concert. That's just how they feel comfortable. <laughs> and I, I'm very minimalist. Like, I'm just, okay, yeah, this is what I put on for the day. Um, I hate wearing suits, anything that requires extra effort. Just like, uh. Uh, and again, just like, like I did a, I forget, I had this old joke. I forget what even book it was about, but just one lady in the audience just yelled like, we don't like books here. I'm like, oh, <laughs> Uh, or I did a uh, a friend of mine was supposed to headline a uh, a high school like volleyball team fundraiser. He got this really good offer to do a show out of town, and so I filled in for him, uh, myself, and these other two comedians. So we get to we get to the thing, and it's in a more it's it's about forty minutes south of Pittsburgh. It's more rural, more conservative, and so I planned on you know I'm not going to try anything political unless you know do have a good set. Uh, so we get there. And the organizers say, now we have a raffle planned, uh, 50-50, all that kind of stuff. And we want to do that in the middle of the show. And all the comedians, and you probably have this too, were like, no, you don't break up the show. Mm-hmm. You break up the show, you're basically putting on two shows. It totally resets the crowd. Especially this kind of thing where it's everyone's bought brought bottles of alcohol and is getting very drunk because mm-hmm. they're all parents, friends, and that kind of thing. Uh-huh. So the show starts off with the... Uh, the volleyball coach talking and he talks for about five minutes about the team. Then he says, well, let me get who you really want to talk to ducks behind the stage, comes back out with like big fake glasses on and does this reverend character that absolutely kills for 10 minutes <laughs> because again, it's all inside jokes with the parents and the players. Right. That kind of. First comic goes up, does his 10, 15 minutes does all right. Second comic goes up, does his 10, 15 minutes does all right. Uh, I'm waiting to go on. I'm supposed to do 45 minutes to an hour. Like I'm, I'm just about to walk up to the stage. And one of the organizers comes over to me and says, all right, we're going to do the raffle now. <laughs> and I said, that's not what we agreed on. <laughs> it's not going to. And she said, I know, but we're, it'll just take five minutes. We're, we're going to do the raffle now. <laughs> so half an hour later. Yeah. Uh, one of the organizers walks up to the microphone and says, all right, and now here's your last team of the evening, Zach Funk, and just walks off. Oh, no. Everyone, you know, because at this point, if it's been a half an hour break and everyone's drinking and eating, it's, you're done. Uh-huh. So I got up there and I, I tried to do, I did the best I could uh, for about the first 20 minutes because I, I, I tried to stick to like work stories and kind of more basic stuff. Mm-hmm. 
about seven minutes in, this lady at a table just randomly yelled out, my husband has longer hair than you. <laughs> and I, I wasn't talking about my hair. There was nothing about my hair going on at that time. So, uh-huh. all right, are, we, are we establishing object permanence? What exactly is happening here? <laughs> uh, and it just it kept going on and on. And I could tell it was, it, it was that thing of like, if you give me a chance and I fail, okay, that's on me. Mm-hmm. But if you set me up to fail, then I'm just not, I don't care. Right. So at about the 20 minute mark, I thought, all right, I wasn't going to do political jokes now because no one cares. I'm going to do political material that I'm working on right now because I need to practice these things. <laughs> so as soon as I started into that, a different person at a table just jumped out of her chair and screamed, no! <laughs> you want to get no politics! Two <laughs> minutes after that, I hit the half hour point, and uh, they had already given me my check before I got on stage. And the door to leave was right beside the stage. So I saw it was about a half hour, 35 minutes. I knew nothing good could come from me talking anymore. Mm-hmm. I had everything with me on stage. So I said, you know what? Um, you folks get home safe. You have a good night. <laughs> Just off the stage, out the door, got in my car, stopped at the first ATM I could to deposit the check. <laughs> Just went home. Oh, that's, that's rough. Uh, yeah. yeah, everybody's got stories like that. I, I just like to showcase those, those types of stories because there's a lot of new comics listening and I want to, I, I want them to know that it's not all, um, all roses and, uh, gold for you, but those, the, the nice thing about those really bad ones is it either gives you material or it gives you something to talk to other comics about. So, you know, it's, uh, th- those yeah. war stories are always good. I, I think I would rather have like a spectacular failure show than just like, oh, that was a boring show. Yeah. Because <laughs> at least you get a story. In it. There's an experience where it's just, oh, I talked. They weren't really that into it. And then I, right. Like, right. Um, uh, one last thing, uh, Zach. Uh, so you've been you've been uh, performing for nine years now. Uh, what do you wish you would have known uh, when you started that you know now? The biggest thing I think would have been start earlier um like it's something like comedy like i i i had thought about doing comedy when i was in high school but there wasn't a place to do it at there was a clever two in pittsburgh when i was in college but i didn't drink until i was 23 and i knew those places had a two drink minimum and so i thought well if i don't drink i guess i guess i can't go mm-hmm. and the first open mic i ever did i even i found out about because I met someone at a speakeasy theme party at an art gallery. We went on one date, and as we walked around town, she said, do you want to see my friend at this uh, comedy open mic? I was like, wait, there, there's just a place you can get on stage and you can talk and you can do that. <laughs> uh, and then the next week, I did it. Yeah. So I think that would be the biggest thing. Other, otherwise, um, I don't know. Just I don't think I'd change much else just because, you know, for the good or the bad, we are who are experiencing us. Mm-hmm. You know, like you can tell someone, get used to failure. But that's something that you can tell them that, but until you really get used to it, it doesn't matter what they tell you. Right. Uh, and just, you know, be yourself and that'll work for you. Mm-hmm. If people like it, great. And if they don't, then that's okay too. They're doing their own thing. Right. Uh, one of the things I, I'm reading a book right now and I can't think of the name of it, um, but uh, they, they talk about uh, writing. Do you, do you have any kind of a, like a scheduled writing time or do you just write things down as they come and get to them when you can? It's, it depends. Uh, it's more of a get to it when I can or uh, when things kind of hit in a weird way, like one of the um, like the, like the mental health stuff, for example. On the album, many times you talk about mental health for the crowd. If the crowd likes you, 
you have to kind of ease them into it because you have to let them know it's okay to laugh at this. You're not laughing at me. You're laughing with me. Mm -hmm. And that's why I opened the, um, the mental health stuff with the joke about, uh, you know, no more tears, shampoo, not working as an antidepressant. Right. (laughs) And I literally wrote that joke when I was depressed and taking a shower. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That was just something that popped into my head where I was was really, really sad. And I was taking a shower and I looked at the bottle. I was like, this is bullshit. This doesn't work at all. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was a thing of like, Oh yeah, wait, that's actually decent. Maybe you can build that into something. Right. Right. And just you know, as, as someone who does a lot of, of storytelling type jits, you know, finding things in my life, you know, what what could be an interesting story, and then how can I how can I play it up? How can I make it more exaggerated, or how can I kind of build something into it? Most of the time, it really is just a train of thought. It'll be I'll write down, okay, here's an idea for a bit, or here's an idea for a story, and then I just have to go on stage to a mic and try it out, and then through that, I kind of work out a rhythm to it and figure out. Is this worth salvaging? And then once I get it to a point where I feel good about it, then I might actually write some stuff down and make it a bit more permanent and solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a lot of different ways to do it. And uh, I, I'm going to be interviewing a guy um, coming up that uh, he, he wrote a book called, um, I think, Not Good Yet. And um, his name is Mark Masters. And he actually, in his 40s, decided he was going to, uh, pursue stand-up comedy and he's in the um he's in denver and uh they've got a pretty good comedy scene there so he just uh decided he was going to do all the open mics he could to get good at comedy and then wrote a book about that but uh his his routine is, is he does a a 20 20 20 every morning so he he meditates for 20 minutes he writes for 20 minutes and he reads for 20 minutes and that's it seems like a good thing to um to actually get a habit because personally i procrastinate on everything and the only time i really get focused on something is is if i have a show coming up and i want to make sure that i've got everything tight for the show or if i want to throw something new into it that uh, up until then i'm just skating i show up to an open mic and i i either do old stuff or i do new stuff that isn't even halfway hashed out so you know i i'm thinking about trying that uh the only thing is, is it makes you have to get up an hour earlier so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm very much the I stay in bed until the last possible moment yeah. I go to work. Yeah. Uh, but a, a lot of it will be, you know, just I'll see something or an idea pops to my head and I'll I'll post it on Facebook or I'll post it on Twitter or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, if it kind of gets a response, then I can think, okay, well, maybe I can build something off of that. Mm-hmm. And then I will talk about it on stage and just kind of kind of improv it and just kind of see, all right, here, here's the core concept. Let's just see where this leads me as I talk mm-hmm. where when I try to write things out word for word, because like, even before I ever performed, I've always had a, had a writing background. And when I sit down to try to write stuff, I get too caught up in finding like the exact right word. Mm-hmm. I just feel right. And the thing about, I love about performing like you could put me in front of a crowd of 500 people and I am more relaxed than I am in front of a blank page by myself because with the blank page, you can, you can go back and forth. You can, you can get stuck on a sentence for half an hour because it just doesn't feel okay. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're, when you're talking in front of an audience, if something hits, it hits. If it doesn't, it doesn't, but you can't say, hold on, let me go back and try it this way. So you have the momentum means you can't stop moving. Right. And I don't get caught up in my own thoughts. It's, it's more, because that's that's the big thing for me. 
you know, if I sit down to write something, then you get into the self-doubt. Well, that, that's garbage. That that could be a lot better. Now, what is this? This is trash. <laughs> Versus when you're on stage, it's just, oh, that didn't work. Okay, I have to keep talking. Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, you ha- you have you have to fill the space. So yeah, th- that that definitely makes sense. Um, well, I've I've had you on here for about an hour now. Um, your voice is probably tired. Mine's getting there. So um, <laughs> um, I really appreciate you coming on the show, um, folks. Um, his album is called Brains Are Weird. Um, it's on Spotify. It's on it's on all the um, all the ways you listen to. Um, music and comedy albums. Uh, I would ask that if you like it, uh, you buy it, uh, because that's how, uh, comics actually make money. So, <laughs> um, uh, if I, if I, uh, were to, uh, put that on Spotify and stream it, uh, 365 days, 24 hours a day, I think you probably make maybe 50 cents. So, something, uh, something like that. Yeah. Spotify doesn't pay well. So it, I always, tell people if you like it buy it because uh that's that's how we've survived so um uh it's a good it's a very good album uh i definitely knew who you were after i listened to it and uh it's a very good hour and 11 minutes so (laughs) (laughs) i i I thought it was great um if people want to get a hold of you um can you um throughout your uh, facebook page and your twitter handle uh yeah so my twitter is at z funk yeah uh, y e h a. Uh, my Facebook is just uh, Zach Funk Comedy. Uh, Instagram I'm Z Funk Yeah. Okay. Uh, you can find me on on YouTube. Uh, also, if you're looking for stuff I do on YouTube, there is a channel that I'm a co-host on. Uh, my best friend from college and current roommate, uh, he and I do things like uh, video game reviews and make weird themed cocktails. And the channel is called Is It Worth a Sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a lot of fun. Is it worth a sandwich? That was a real broke college student metric of like, oh, I can spend fifteen dollars on this really cheap video game, or I can eat dinner. Which do I want to do? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's why we named that. Uh, but you can find me on YouTube. Um, get a chance to listen. Good, bad. Send me feedback because it's just like, like you said, like money is important. We need money. I would love right. to do this full time. But sometimes just knowing people listen. Like I recently. Uh, Somebody from an old job sent me a message saying they listened to my album and hearing the way I talked about mental illness helped them describe their own feelings to their partner better. Oh, that's great. Yeah, like laughter is fantastic, but knowing that I help somebody blows laughter out of the water. Yep, yep, that's that's great. And it's very important because uh, comics tend to be kind of insular with their feelings and uh so you, you don't get a lot of feedback from other comics so you, you need it from somewhere <laughs> yeah. i mean uh, unless unless you get really close with a few of them you, you you don't get feedback good or bad from them sometimes and uh so hearing hearing the positive and knowing where you could get better always helps but yeah, yeah that was a great album i i really appreciate you being on the show it's uh, Zach Funk, and um, he works in the Pittsburgh area, and the name of the album is Brains Are Weird. I will also post uh, links to your all your social media stuff in the show notes. Thank you so much. It's great. been really great chatting. Glad to be here. Great. Thank you.